Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. This can be found on page 981 of your Pew Bible. As Jesus and his disciples approach Jerusalem, a crowd gathers around him. Although the Lord rode a humble beast in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the people's words and actions declare him to be their king and Messiah. A reading from Matthew chapter 21, beginning with the first verse. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Who is Jesus? It's an important question each of us needs to answer. Who is Jesus? Palm Sunday is a really good opportunity for us to pause and reflect on that question. Who is Jesus? In fact, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on what we would come to call Palm Sunday, a lot of people asked that exact question. Maybe you noticed that in verse 10. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. A lot of people living in Jerusalem had never heard of Jesus. And they say this in verse 10. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is Jesus? Whether you're new to the faith or you've been a Christian for many, many years, let's pause today on Palm Sunday as Jesus makes this introduction of himself into the city of Jerusalem. Let's meet him afresh as well and see what he has to say in answering that question of who he is. I think if we really let him answer the question on his terms, we'll probably be surprised at who he is. So let's look at it together today. Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 1 to revisit this familiar story. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, 
Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now, I've read a lot of commentaries. I've heard a lot of talks and sermons about the logistics of this donkey. How did Jesus know where it was? Why did he want this? And there's, I think there's a little bit of missing the point if you go down that, not rabbit trail, but donkey trail. <laughs> we know exactly what's going on here because of the very next verse. The main point that Jesus wants us to see is why he's chosen the donkey. Why he's chosen a donkey to make his introduction in Jerusalem. Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Jesus would have known what it said in the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah had lived some centuries before Jesus. It would have been familiar to him. He knew that King Solomon rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he knew why. Let's look at the prophecy that Jesus is citing by riding this donkey from Zechariah. This is the quote, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Jesus is declaring himself a king. Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble. Humble. And mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. I printed that picture on the front of our programs. I want to put it on the wall as well. Just because I want us to behold this Jesus on a donkey. This is how he chose to introduce himself and as we're seeking to answer the question, who is Jesus? Let's just look at this artist's depiction. What I don't like about this picture is the donkey probably wasn't all white like that. <laughs> Jesus' clothes probably weren't freshly bleached and laundered like they appear to be here. White on white on white here. What I do like about this picture is how silly it looks. Doesn't it? I mean, look at those short little, stupid little donkey legs. <laughs> I get the sense if Jesus hopped off that donkey, he might be taller standing next to it than he is on this. Doesn't that look a little silly? Full-grown man riding in on a donkey? We go back to this word from Zechariah. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. We call it the triumphal entry. So it's a little bit ironic that he would come in on a silly animal. What is he triumphing over? What is he telling us? What kind of king is this? It's unusual, isn't it? Because normally when we try to portray a triumphal hero, we don't choose a donkey. What do we choose? A horse. I brought this other image I wanted us to consider. We've seen lots of images like this. This is Lafayette. We love Lafayette. Look how strong he looks. Look at that mighty horse that he's on. He's got a sword in his hand. We love Lafayette here in the United States because he came in from France and he showed us how to overthrow the evil empire, the British. Apologies to you, the Daplins and any other uh, British people. Pollocks are normally here. You have to understand, we love Lafayette, right? He helped us get our freedom and he overthrew those evil overlords, the British. <laughs> this is how we normally portray saviors or heroes or conquering kings, the triumph of someone like Lafayette. Just to really drive this home, I want to show these two images next to each other. 
Look how silly and humble our Lord looks. Why was he introducing himself in this way? As I look at these two images, I, I realize there's, there's the Savior we want, but then there's the Savior we need. There's the Savior we want to overthrow those evil overlords, but then there's the Savior we really need, humble. Why do we need a humble Savior? Well, let's first spend a moment considering the Savior we prefer, the Savior we want, people like Lafayette. I think the people who saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem perhaps had the same kind of idea in mind, a Savior they wanted, someone to come and overthrow, not the Brits, but who? The Romans. The Romans. Why do I think that they might have been hoping that Jesus would be the Savior they want? Well, because of what happens in the next few verses. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them, on the cloaks, not on the disciples. <laughs> Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Palm branches were a sign in the ancient world of victory, of triumph. It's the triumphal entry. So why were people also laying down their cloaks well, they would have known well the story from 2 Kings verse 9. 2 Kings verse 9 is when Jehu is installed the new king of Israel. And it says this in uh, 2 Kings 9 verse 13, that in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him, that's Jehu, on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So there's this tradition in the minds of the people of Israel that when you install this new king, you place your cloak down on the road. I don't exactly know why. Maybe it's so that their feet don't have to touch the ground. It's a way of showing honor that this is our king. And why is the story of Jehu relevant? Why does it indicate that perhaps the people, as they witnessed Jesus coming into Jerusalem, were hoping that he might be the kind of savior who would overthrow the Romans? Well, that's because that's what Jehu did for them. Jehu came in and he overthrew the corrupt leaders of the time. Even before Jehu was installed king, he was dealing with the evil and corrupt former king, Ahab. Ahab was a corrupt, really terrible leader. He had all kinds of corruption and deception. And his wife was even worse. Anyone know who Ahab's wife was? Jezebel. Yes, Pastor Winton prayed about this in his pastoral prayer. We did not compare notes before coming today. And he prayed about Jehu and or Ahab and Jezebel. This was probably on the minds of the people as Jesus came into Jerusalem. They're laying their cloaks before him. Be like Jehu. What did Jehu do? Jehu's famous for two things. He dealt with Ahab and Jezebel. That's the first thing he's famous for. In fact, he killed Jezebel. He had Jezebel killed. He had her thrown out of a window. Jezebel was so evil. She was so corrupt. She's like the worst. <laughs> Till Jehu came along, started cleaning up the mess of Ahab, and he had Jezebel killed. Yay, Jehu. So he dealt with the corrupt overlords. And the second thing uh, Jehu is famous for is he let the people keep their golden calves. Oh, yeah. This is the savior we want. Deal with the corruption out there, but let me keep the idolatry in here. That's really 
the kind of Savior we want. Maybe that's why they laid their cloaks before Jesus. Jesus, will you be like Jehu? Will you kick out the Romans, but let me keep my, you know, addictions and habits and idolatries and greed? This is the Savior we want. And when we say Hosanna, what are we saying? Verse 9, let's look at that first, and we're going to look at this word Hosanna. The crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna is really two words in Hebrew. I want to show you this word. Hoshia na. That word Hoshia. It almost sounds like Yeshua, which is the name of Jesus. Salvation. Na means now or please. Save us, please. This is what we're declaring when we say, Hosanna, save us, save us. And it's understandable that the people might have been thinking that Jesus would come and save them from the Romans. It's understandable that the people living here in this territory loved Lafayette to come in and kick out the Romans to give us our freedom. That's an understandable yearning. It's an understandable cry that we think primarily that what we need salvation from is other people who are coming against us, who are harming us. That's understandable, isn't it? But here's the thing. Jesus didn't do what they were possibly calling out for. He came through Holy Week. He went to the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended back to heaven. And the Romans were still there. Hosanna, save us from the Romans. But then he didn't do it. In fact, after he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days here on earth. And then he ascended into heaven. And right before he ascended into heaven, I think the disciples were still a little bit confused about this. They had just witnessed the resurrection They had witnessed the saving work of Jesus on the cross. Wow. But they were like, "Mm, the Romans are still here. And they're wondering if he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And it's the last thing they ask him. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Right before he ascends back into heaven. It's the very last question. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And there's probably a little bit of confusion. Are you our Lafayette? Are you our Jehu or not? What did you come for if our biggest problem is still here? Well, maybe Jesus stooped down onto a donkey, not a war horse, but a donkey, because he was stooping down to reach, to deal with the real problem in all of us. After Jesus ascended and they looked around and realized he didn't deal with the problem they thought they were going to, they had to develop a theology. Why did he come then? What was the purpose? What did he triumph over? And so they started developing theology and we get a clue about this in 1 Timothy when the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a young minister named Timothy. He says this in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full... Ex- it seems to have been a saying, something they had to remind each other of all the time. They put it to memory. What is it? The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. 
They developed this saying to remind themselves Christ Jesus didn't come into the world just to save us from them. Jesus came into the world to save us from us. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Not just them. Why am I driving this home so hard in this sermon? Because I think that the yearning that the people had when Jesus came into Jerusalem, that he might overthrow those enemies, and that he might even be like a Jehu to overthrow them, but let me keep, you know, my idolatries. The reason I'm driving this home so hard is because I still get, on a routine basis, I still get a challenge from various people to my preaching. And it usually goes something like this. Pastor, why don't you preach against fill-in-the-blank? Why are you silent on fill-in-the-blank? And the the fill-in-the-blank is usually the Ahabs and the Jezebels and the corruption and the out there and the problems over there. And someone else was joking with me after the first service. They said, I like it when you preach, but I don't like it when you meddle. (laughs) And that's what we loved about Jehu. He dealt with Ahab and Jezebel, but he let us keep our golden calves. That's really what we want. And it might still be what we want from Jesus, but he didn't give us that. He came, he stooped down onto a donkey to humble himself. And if you think humbling himself on a donkey was humble, wait till you learn what he did the rest of Holy Week. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? What was he doing there? He was dealing with the corruption in here. I love going around your homes and business places throughout the year, and I love seeing these Palm Sunday crosses on your refrigerators and your desks and even in your cars. Remember, Dave, when you used to work uh, on Wall Street, you had one on your computer monitor on the trading floor. I love seeing these. And we say, Hosanna. We say, Lord, save us. And here's an invitation for all of us that I want us just to think about as we put these around our lives for the rest of the year. Let's put to memory the same thing they put to memory in 1 Timothy, that when we see this, we don't just say, Lord, deal with all those problems out there. But we say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Hosanna, save me. It's my selfishness, it's my sin that you came to triumph over. Not them out there, but me in here. Tim Keller has this interesting quote that might seem a little bit unrelated, but I just want to share it with you. He he situates this concept in the context of marriage. So I want to just bring us into the context of marriage for a minute and then as an illustration, and we'll, we'll pull back out from that from there. Tim Keller says this, if each spouse says to the other, I will treat my selfishness as the main problem in the marriage, you have prospect for great things. If each spouse says, I'll treat my selfishness as the main problem, this is not what we normally do, is it? I know, I hang out with, you know, the guys or whatever. You're not going to believe how selfish my wife is. 
And I, and I know what happens with the ladies as well. They sit around and talk about how selfish their husbands are. They treat the main problem of the marriage as the selfishness of the other. Keller says, try to think of your own as the main problem. Now, pull back out from the context of marriage and look at our nation, our culture, our communities, our, our society, our institutions. What if we all did that? And said, Jesus, Hosanna, save us, save me. Thank you for coming, not to triumph over them, not to save me from them, but to save us from us. You came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So for the rest of Holy Week, let's meet him, let's watch him come into not only Jerusalem, but our lives. And let's allow him. This is the spiritual discipline I want us to enter into this week, Holy Week. To say, Lord, I know there's a lot of corruption out there. I I see the news. But will you come and do business? Will you deal with me this week? And let us together and collectively say, Hosanna. Hosanna. Say it with me. Hosanna. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.